Good morning. It's good to see you all. It's good to be gathering together to worship today. And welcome to you if you're joining us online. Um, I have an announcement for this children. If you're in primary school, um, if you want to, for the children's talk today, um, we'd love you to come down the front so that we can actually see who we're talking to. And I know Martin would like to do that. So a bit later, we're going to have the children's talk, so please do come down the front if you'd like to. On Tuesday, we had a really good men's event, and it was great to listen and talk to each other uh, about how we can talk to others about Jesus. But one of the things that Rob, who was leading it, said um, was about a conversation he was having with a man down in Eastbourne, and he was having this conversation And they were arguing and this man was saying, why should I believe in God? And he said, look up. And he said it was a brilliant blue sky with lovely clouds. And he said, look at that artistry. You're not going to tell me that that happened by chance. And he said the man was quiet for quite a few minutes and went away thinking. Well, today we're looking at the environment, the things God has made and what he's going to do with them. And our first Bible reading comes from Psalm 8, where David was inspired by God to write these words. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 8, we're going to sing, see David's song of praise to God for creation. God's word reads like this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And our first hymn uh, goes on the same theme in praising God for the wonderful things that he has made. So let's stand and sing.
Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we ask that you will help us as we come to you now in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you promise that you are with two or three people when they gather in your name. And we will have, pray that we'll have a sense that we are speaking to the creator of all things. Oh Lord, we're so glad that we're able to sing of your great love for us, that you didn't even spare your son, but that you gave him so that people who didn't deserve anything can be forgiven and can come to you in prayer. Oh Lord, we've just been singing how you're going to come back. You're going to make everything new. And Lord, we are so glad that we can be confident in you. And Lord, we are so glad that you do not just leave this world to keep running but that you are concerned about it and that you are concerned about us. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to be people who trust you, who trust you by bringing our cares and concerns to you and casting them on you, knowing that you care for us. And Lord, do help us to leave them there. And Lord, You know how some of us try and run our own lives, try and sort things out. Oh Lord, do help us, if we're your children, to to bring our, our work, our studies to you in prayer so that we do them in a way that pleases you, so that we rely on your strength even to do the everyday things. Oh Lord, we are so glad you're coming back, but we are so thankful that you are not going to come back until every one of your children, every one who you have planned, comes to you. And we pray, Lord, we pray for those that we know and love who don't know you. And Lord, we ask that you will speak to them, whether it's through us or through some other way, And that you will help them to see the light. That you will turn them from darkness. And that depressing view that this world is all there is. To realise that they can be part of the family of the one who made it all. Oh Lord, we thank you that you are working. That you are still working today. Oh Lord, we thank you that a number of our young people have been able to go and see Hannah being baptised as she confesses her faith in you. And Lord, we do pray that you will bless her and you will help her to live for you and that many more in our young people's group and in our contact group will come to know and love you. Oh Lord, we do thank you for the opportunities that students have to serve you. And we thank you for the work of the Christian unions. And Lord, as they go and tell the good news to their fellow students who don't know about you, and as they have so many great opportunities, Lord, we pray that you'll help them to take them. And Lord, we pray that you'll help them as the enemy attacks. And Lord, in quite brutal ways sometimes, they are 
they are held out as objects of scorn, objects of ridicule. There are people trying to stop them doing the work of telling people about Jesus. Oh Lord, I do ask that you will help them to rely on you, that you will help them to be brave and not to tone down the message that people need to be forgiven, they need to turn from sin and that they need to follow you. And Lord, as we pray that for the students, we pray that for ourselves. Oh Lord, some of us were were really challenged about our lack of obedience to your command to go and tell the good news to people who don't know. Oh Lord, we ask that you'll give us hearts for opportunities for those that we meet to tell them about the great king, the glorious creator. And Lord, we pray that we will have the privilege of of seeing you answer our prayers and that people will be rescued from darkness into your glorious light. Oh Lord, we do thank you that your work is going on all over the world. And we pray that you will be helping James and Rachel in Cyprus. And we particularly pray that there will be encouragement in the local people, the Turkish-speaking people, that there will be more of a hunger for you as many of those people feel they have all they need. We pray too for Rosie in Papua New Guinea, working in a very different situation. Oh Lord, we pray that you will be with her and encourage her as she worships with your people today. And that there will be a sense of a reviving of your work in that land. Oh Lord, we thank you for Mark and all he does in your service here. We thank you for the gifts you've given him. And pray that this time of holiday will be a real time of refreshing after a busy summer. And that he will come back fresh and equipped to keep on serving you. Oh Lord, we thank you that we have your word. We thank you that you speak to us. We don't have to guess at what our God wants. And Lord, we pray that as John speaks to us, that you will use his work, you will use his words to speak to us from your word. And Lord, we pray that it won't just be something that interests us. We ask, Lord, it will be something that changes our lives. Oh Lord, we don't deserve any of these requests that we've showered on you. Oh Lord, do forgive our sins, we pray. Do accept us. And do help us to live for you. Amen. We're going to sing another hymn that we don't normally sing at this time of year. But it is great that to this world that God has made, he sent his son. And we can sing the praise of our great king. So let's join in singing our second song.
Come up the front. Oh, that's better. More coming up. Great. Well, it's, it's, it's good here, isn't it? It's good to come and hear God's word. And I want you to listen today very carefully, okay? Not to what I'm going to say, but to what John's going to say later as well. Because it impacts us all. And you'll hear about what John says at school. So it'd be good to have a Bible perspective of what John says. But I want to talk about signs, okay? Now I've put a few up there on the, on the screen, on the wall. Does anyone want to tell me what those signs mean? Anyone want to have a go what those signs mean? Now I know you're very young. I know you don't drive yet. But I still reckon you can help me with those signs. Go on, Flynn. Stop sign. So if you're in a car and you see a stop sign, you stop. It's giving you information. Annie. Ah, uh, oh, brilliant. Yes, yeah, so if you want to cross the road, look for one of those signs. And if I'm driving, I have to be careful. Go on in flow. Traffic lights. Yes, we have to be careful at traffic lights. So signs give us information, don't they? And when we're driving, there's lots of signs. Now, let's have a sign perhaps that's more appropriate for you. Ah. Oh. Who likes that sign? How dare you bring that sign up on a Sunday? God, school. Now, when you look at that sign, are you thinking, it's a lovely yellow background? Isn't it a nice red triangle? Okay, yeah. Or are you thinking, oh, my teacher? Or are you thinking, oh, my school, if I didn't have to go on Monday? PE on Tuesday, I much prefer PE. So you're not actually thinking about the sign, are you? You're thinking about what the sign means. So the next sign. What about this one then? Oh, could have made that one a bit bigger. What? Do you, ah, brilliant! It's a rainbow. Thank you. What do we think that means? When you see that, what do you think? Okay. When you see that, what do you think? God promised He'd never flood the world. Brilliant. Because if I'm really honest, when I see a rainbow, I think, "Wow, that is beautiful." Isn't God a wonderful creator? I don't often think, actually, that is a sign that God has promised not to flood the world again. So brilliant, well done. And uh, next sign, what do we think for this one? Can we see that? When you see that, what do you think? Go on, what is it? You think ice cream. Yes, of course you do. Well, don't you think, isn't it a lovely pattern behind it? Aren't the words lovely written in red? I could stop and look at that all day. Or actually thinking... Let's go and get an ice cream. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Now we've got one more. What do you reckon about this one? What do you think about this one? Ooh. Ooh. You think chips, do you? Brilliant. That is a great answer. That's fantastic. You think chips. And I know other people in the room will be thinking, go on, Finn, what do you think? McDonald's, yeah. Other people will be thinking burgers or McFlurries or... Whatever you like, happy meals. So when you see that sign, you won't be going, oh, that's lovely and yellow. Isn't it a lovely red base it's got to it? You're thinking, food, aren't you? Yes. Now, in the Gospel of John, okay, we know Jesus did lots of miracles. Yeah, Jesus did lots of miracles. But in the Gospel of John, they're not called miracles. They're called signs. Okay, so we've learnt from a sign, we get information, don't we? So I wonder what the signs in the Gospel of John are pointed to. So I've put some up here, 
Um, there are eight in the Gospel of John, but we've only put a few up. Does anyone want to have a go at working out what some of those signs are? What the miracles are? Go on in. He heals the sick. Brilliant. Yeah, there's a boy there that's not very well. He healed the nobleman's son. And he healed a man who's been lame for 38 years. Brilliant. Yes. Flo. Uh, the person was blind. He cured a man who was blind. Yes. Very good. Annie. The 5,000. Brilliant. Yes. We've got the five loaves and the stew fish. He feed, fed 5,000 people. Well done. Ruby. He turned water into wine. Yeah, I'd love to have been there for that, wouldn't you? Hey, I'd love to have been there for all of them. But yeah, turn water into wine. Anyone? There's two, three more there. They're a bit more difficult. Finn? Um, uh, Jesus died. And then what happened? And then he... He rose again. There's an empty tomb. Well done. He rose again. Go on, we've got two more. We'll see if we can get... Brilliant. Yeah, that was a bit more difficult one. So he brought the dead back to life. Yes, well done. And all these things are telling us about Jesus. The last one is 153 fish, if you're wondering. An amazing cache of fish. So all these things are telling us about Jesus. Now, Jesus had a bit of a problem. Because he said lots of people were just following him around so they could see the signs. It would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it, to see someone dead come back to life. It would be amazing to see all of those things. But Jesus wasn't doing it so people could see it. He was kind, wasn't he? Healing people. But he wanted to teach people about himself. Now, thank you Richard. I wonder what the owners of McDonald's would do. Is if you saw that sign and went, that's brilliant. Dad, let's go and find another McDonald's sign. Hey? Oh, that's another good one. Let's go and find another McDonald's sign. But you never actually stopped and thought, let's have some food. Now, Jesus talked about people, okay, who went round. They wanted to see signs. They wanted to see these things. But they never actually stopped to think, what's this sign telling me? Now, does anyone want to have a go at trying to work out what the signs, his miracles, told us about Jesus? Does anyone want to have a go? The youngest one nods her head. She must be the cleverest one. No? In America, last year, they did a survey. And they asked, who do you think Jesus was? Okay? And over 50% said he was a good teacher. Nothing else. All he did was go around and he taught and he was a good person. Okay? It was less than 50% said, okay, who wants to read this verse? Does anyone read this verse? Go on then, Flo. Nice and loudly. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thank you. So, under 50% thought that Jesus was the Son of God. And the younger you got, the percentages got higher. Okay, so the younger people just didn't think that Jesus was the Son of God. Now, anyone who did these miracles, okay, were they going to be someone special? Does anyone here put their hand up if you know someone who can change water into wine? Anyone else? No? So we don't know anyone who can do that. So does anyone know anyone who can bring someone back from life? No? No one else? Does anyone know anyone who has come back from life? 
So Jesus must be very special. And in fact, it just shows that he's part of being our creator. He can recreate these things, can't he? Okay. But if we believe that he's the son of God, what does that mean for us? If we believe that we're the son of God, what does that mean for us, Flynn? Brilliant, thank you, that we all have eternal life. So we might die, because these bodies are fairly sinful, okay, and it's part of our curse that we will die, but he will then give us eternal life, and in that final day, we will have new bodies that aren't sinful. But you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and then he will give us eternal life. Thank you for listening so well, if you'd like to go back to your seats. Thanks very much, Martin. So just pray again in response to what Martin's saying. Father God, I, I do pray that all of us will open our eyes and see you for who you are, that you're the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that the one who raised the dead wants us to know him. I pray especially that the children will want to know you more than anything in their lives. Amen. So we have two more Bible passages to read. The first one is right at the beginning of the Bible, and it's in Genesis chapter 1, and talks about how God started off this world. We're not going to start at the beginning of the chapter, but we're going to be reading from verse 24. So Genesis chapter 1 and verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, And everything that creeps on the ground, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with its seed in its fruit. You should have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heaven, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, And there was morning, the sixth day. 
Sadly, our world hasn't uh, remained in that perfect state that God made it in. And we're going to move through to Romans chapter 8, where God's servant, the Apostle Paul, writes to these Christians. And he is in a state of uh, waiting. And we'll find out what he's waiting for as we read these words. So Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. Well, after our next uh, song, John is going to be explaining this and other parts of God's word to us. So let's join in singing our third song, Beauty for Brokenness.
Well, for some time I've wanted to speak on this issue, the issue relating to the environment, and with the, the Countdown Summit in, in Edinburgh on Tuesday coming up, leading on later to the, the UN Climate Change Summit in Glasgow, COPD26, at the end of this month, it seemed a time to consider this issue, that uh, Climate Change Summit, our Prime Minister has called a turning point for humanity. Now, if you see it that way, but there's a big summit coming up on environmental issues across the globe and the conferences in the UK. Now, we may understandably be very opposed to the tactics of Extinction Rebellion or Insulate Britain. We may not uh, be Greta Thunberg fanatics, but it does seem hard to deny that there are very serious issues facing our planet. Uh, evangelicals now commenting on this summer's international report on climate change rights. The latest update of global science presents a stark warning of the crisis facing the planet It's hard to ignore such a comprehensive review of 14,000 scientific studies. Now, I imagine at the conference there will be a far-reaching view given of the scene and of what's needed. And there's lots I don't know about climate change. I left geography behind at A-level, and that was a long time ago. I'm sure there'll be lots in these papers which are beyond me grasping. But this morning I'd like to humbly paint a bigger picture from God's Word. The big picture on the environment. I'd like to give a framework for us to view these sort of environmental issues which are so pressing and so topical. Now, we're not going to get into the nitty-gritty this morning, how green your energy supplier is, although the choice is increasingly limited anyway, how electric your car is, whether you should moderate in any way your air travel or your meat consumption, whether you ought to go solar in some way or get some extra insulation in your loft, whether you've been too lazy on the recycling front or not, whether you ought to ask questions about the source of your products. This morning may have a bearing on such issues, but uh, many of these are issues of judgment and conscience, and they would take a range of factors into account before working out what the right approach is for each of us. But us evangelicals have often uh, dragged our feet, haven't we, on environmental concern. And there are some legitimate reasons for that, which we'll come on to. But there are also reasons to be very thoughtful about environmental issues. And maybe we've overlooked some of them or not really connected things together in terms of our attitude and practice. Maybe some concern is good on these issues. 
But sometimes that concern is mixed in with a strong sense of fear. And the Bible's teaching will take us in a direction, I think, of a good concern for these issues, but it will settle an alarmed fear. So we're going to look at the biblical view of the environment, and we're going to do it in five stages to get the big picture on the environment. It is to shape our understanding. I will suggest a few pointers to get us thinking about it personally. And it will be the theme probably in the home groups this week. So that an issue which I think is going to stir up some questions rather than answer them all this morning. Maybe there will be opportunity to think through that a little bit more in the home groups and how it should affect our own lives. So, five stages on the framework of the environment and starting with it's created. It's created. The earth is the Lord's and all that's in it, Psalm 24 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is our starting point, very important starting point, overlooked starting point by many around us. The world... It's landscapes, it's rock formations, it's biodiversity of animal life, plant life, marine life, it's atmosphere, it's air quality, it is made, it was originally made perfect by God in his immense power and wisdom and majesty. So we're dealing with God's environment We're thinking of God's created world as we tackle this subject. He created it all and it was very good. It was perfect in its originality. And God delights in his creation. This is a theme I don't think I'd sufficiently absorbed and noticed. Psalm 104 just it says this in verses 10 to 13 it's a, it's a song of praise of god and creation god and his creation you make springs gush forth in the valleys they flow between the hills they give drink to every beast of the field the wild donkeys quench their thirst beside them the birds of the heaven dwell they sing among the branches from your lofty abode you water the mountains the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work psalm 145 verse 16 i thought of this this morning you open your hand you satisfy the desire of live every living thing and as i put down the food bowl for our dog lottie i thought you know, this is godlike. Providing for animals with a sense of delight. I can enjoy this because I serve a God who opens his hand to satisfy the desire of every living thing. God was concerned for the human souls at Nineveh, but aren't you also puzzled that in the book of Jonah he's in concern for the cattle? In Matthew 6, when Jesus talked, he talked about uh, God's provision for the birds of the air and God clothing the lilies of the field so beautifully. In Genesis 9, where there is God's covenant with Noah, it is actually God's covenant with every living thing, not just with people. There is a creation covenant there. You see, God's love for his creation... 
It is God's creation. But he includes within that a role for humanity. Psalm 115 gives them both in verse 16. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. And that responsibility of humanity within the order of things comes out in the Bible. It comes out two particularly clear ways in the creation account. You have the creation mandate, if you like, at the start of the Bible. And in Genesis 1 verse 28 it says, And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Well, things were very different. Humans and animals were all vegetarians originally, if you read the next two verses, Certainly not the ongoing case as you unfold the Bible. It's right for us to enjoy our meat. There's no reason theologically to be a vegetarian. Plant life was given for food, for humanity. But man was given, humankind was given dominion over creation. Verse 28, that means to be in charge, it's a positive word, have oversight, care for. It was to subdue creation, that is to conquer it, to fulfil it, to master it. So humanity has a, a responsibility for the environment, it's to be used, to be used well, to be used carefully. That's more specific when you get to Genesis chapter 2. And I usually have to pick one verse for my digital filing system of sermons and I chose Genesis 2 verse 15. So this sermon is down as Genesis 2 verse 15, environment 21. And this is Genesis 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. He put it in to work it and keep it. His role to the environment was to work it and to keep it. He was a gardener. He was a steward over God's creation. God's creation was entrusted to his care. If you like, we are trustees to some extent over the environment. Now, Adam was on his own, so in some ways it was more straightforward. There's getting on for eight billion of us now, and this responsibility is shared between us. So it's, it is different, it's more complicated. But as part of humanity, we do have a tending, keeping, stewarding responsibility towards a creation which we should love as God loves. So we're, we're starting to get some pointers, aren't we, as we go through these phases. Creation is created, so value it and steward it. Love it like God and realise God's entrusted responsibility to us as humanity in terms of how we treat it. And God's love for his creation comes in, in different ways. I'm not sure I'd fully thought through before, but the Sabbath principle was also applied to the livestock. They get a day off. 
Fair wages to some degree is applied to the livestock. Don't muzzle an ox while he's treading the grain. The land receives some benevolent care from God, as in the Old Testament practice, every seven years it was to have a rest. There was a love for God, for his creation. You read Job 38 and 30, uh, Job 38 and 39, and you see God's intricate care for, uh, and attention for, and affection for his creatures, which should be reflected in us as his image bearers. So God created the environment, and it should lead us to value it and see ourselves as stewards. But the environment, uh, creation, the world around us is spoiled. Maybe that's not strong enough a word. The Bible's view of creation doesn't remain in the sort of pure beauty, if you like, of the original setup. Creation is, is broken. It is spoiled. The harmony of humanity and the environment is fundamentally changed. It happens as part of the result of human rebellion, which you, you, you read about in Genesis chapter 3. The first man and his wife turn their backs upon God and his commands. And the consequences are, are devastating and far-reaching. We heard a bit about the family service last week. And a fundamental change uh, occurs, and it comes out in Genesis 3, verse 17 to 19. Now, if you're following through, Genesis 3, 17 to 19, as a result of the fall, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So the ground is cursed, and plant life is frustrated and difficult. Animal life, according to the snake, is is partly against us. And death is sadly the end of every living thing. So the sea sometimes produces tsunamis. Some areas lack rainfall with devastating consequences. So there are volcanoes and there are storms which devastate communities. And part of what we experience, even in unusual climate events, of which there seem to be an increasing amount, come under this sad umbrella of a spoilt, broken, cursed environment as a result of what we call the fall. But within that, there's another factor. Not just that our relationship with the environment is spoiled, but that we spoil the environment. Human hearts are greedy and selfish and uncaring. 
we lack thoughtfulness and we lack restraint in dealing with God's earth. There is a tendency in human hearts to ravage and to be cruel. You get hints of this in uh, a couple of places. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, when there is some rules about war being given, uh, uh, a bit like the Geneva Convention rules, and we come in verse 19, when you see, when you besiege a city for a long time, making war against it in order to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. You may eat from them, but you shall not cut them down. Are the trees in the field human that they should be besieged by you? So there's a tendency to torch all the trees, and it's just sort of wanton waste of creation spoiling the trees and their future usefulness. And it says, don't do that, even in the situation of war. You get another hint of it in Proverbs 12 and verse 10. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. So the righteous has a respect and a love for animals, but the mercy is just... The, the, the wicked is just cruel towards animals. There's this tendency to be selfish, to exploit, to go too far. And we have marred God's creation by our greed, by our exploitation, by excessiveness. And perhaps this becomes a point of confession a point of contrition, of sadness. Uh, part of it is, may feel beyond us, it's society, it's big business, it's choices, but, but we, we've contributed to it in our patterns of consumption and our lack of thoughtfulness. And maybe there are even specific individual things which on reflection we start to think about. So I think about the fact that one of the cars we had um, was a, a diesel car. Nothing wrong with a diesel car. We've got a diesel car now. I'm not against diesel cars. But this one really coughed and spluttered tremendous black smoke behind it. Things were tight at the time. It passed the MOT. But I look back and think, should I have taken more action? What, what was that doing generally? And... and what was that doing in the streets it went through to the, to the lives that were there? Is it something I should personally be confessing as I look back? Maybe you've got things that you think of as well in terms of a, an active part in spoiling God's creation. Well, some of the sadness, maybe the despondency, maybe the guilt that we might think of in terms of a spoilt earth, receives some good news as we go on to our next section, which is this, visited. The environment, the world, creation is visited. It is visited. God has not left his world to hopelessness. He has visited with the purpose to deliver. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. John 1 verse 14. The Psalms are amazed that God visits us. 
and what he has done when he comes. We sang joy to the world. That's based on Psalm 98. And it reflects the joy of creation at the coming of Christ. It's a sense in some of the parts of the Old Testament of Christ coming as a, a science, uh, as a reason for creation celebrating and rejoicing and applauding and anticipating. It's interesting that in Mark's gospel, as Christ's come and is here, the way that in, I don't know how you've understood this before, Mark 1, Jesus is taken into the wilderness tempted and was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. So he's standing strong against Satan but almost a suggestion that his presence is somehow with and dealing with and harmonising some of the aspects of the broken environment Jesus came to deal with the fundamental problem of sin and rebellion. And he would achieve that in visiting and in reconciling and in going to the cross to deal with the guilt and the pollution of our lives. Your your guilt and my guilt uh, against others, against God's creation is dealt with on the cross. Boris Johnson was not correct in saying that this climate change summit is the turning point of history. The cross is the turning point of history. It deals with sin and guilt. It it deals with the, the spoilt brokenness, or will eventually deal with the spoilt brokenness of the environment. Perhaps that's partly symbolised in the fact that a crown of thorns was on his brow as he died. The curse is being dealt with on the cross. So if you are feeling um, contrite about the way in which you've treated God's creation around the animals, plants that God has given, your attitude in these things, it is to the cross that you go to to find salvation and your guilt can be dealt with there. As you turn to Jesus, there is forgiveness. But moving on from that, Christ come to work in people's hearts. And preeminent among what he produces towards others is producing unselfish love. And I think this has a relevance to what we're thinking about this morning. That change produced as Jesus comes, as people trust in him as their saviour, as the Holy Spirit is at work in their lives, well, it most obviously works out in our friends and in our families and our neighbours and things very close to us. But surely that unselfishness should 
extend wider than that, although it's harder when it's more indirect? Don't we find it easy to be terribly selfish? You hear that the sea's levels might be rising and you think, well, Crowborough's a long way up. It's no big deal to me. You think of the planet increases in its warmth by two degrees and you think, well, that would be just fine for the UK. It's a little bit cold anyway. And our minds don't go beyond to the to the millions whose situations is different and will be so deeply affected by this. It's Christ-like, isn't it, to be concerned for fellow humans. And these climate issues do seem to affect the, the needy most and be, produ- to be produced by the most prosperous countries. So the least developed nations, the least developed 50 nations, they account for just 1% of the pollution in the world. Yet according to the United Nations, 99% of casualties of global warming will be borne by poor and developing countries. Surely a Christian approach seeks to be unselfish and loving. Christ has come to redeem and the consequences of that we see, but part of his coming to redeem changes people's hearts to be more thoughtful and concerned and unselfish. Doesn't this have a bearing on our attitude to environmental issues? Well, what Jesus has done will have have long-term effects for creation. And that brings us to our fourth phase or stage. Waiting. Waiting. There is a period of waiting. We don't look for utopia here on earth. That's one of the dangers, I think, of the environmental movement. Christians wait and look forward. We eagerly await the coming of a a saviour, the Bible tells us. But the Bible also says that creation waits. If you like, the environment waits. It says it longs for that day that we are waiting for. That the frustration, the stress, if you like, of this spoiled earth makes... Somehow, creation, the earth itself, long for the day of deliverance. So we had some remarkable words read uh, from Romans 8. And I just want to read some of that part again. Verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who was subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So there's a great day to look forward to for creation, for the environment. There's a day of deliverance and there is a delay, a day of freedom. 
And the verse goes on to connect it in, in thought with the redemption of our bodies. So Christians await new bodies, redeemed bodies, glorified bodies. That comes on in verse 23. I want to make a connection here. And not only the creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons of redemption of our bodies. I think we can, I don't just pull this a bit more, pursue this a bit more. Because sometimes as Christians we think, well, we don't need to worry about the environment, we don't need to worry about the world around, because it, it's not much of a long-term future anyway, it's going to be replaced. And of course there's some truth in that. But does that mean we don't care about it in the meantime? And this is where the the comparison, I think, with our bodies can be helpful for us to think through. So if you're a Christian, you await a perfected body. Okay, the the difficulties, the decline is not the end state, you await a perfected body. But but does that mean that in the meantime you totally ignore health care? Let's just disband the NHS and we can save a lot of money. Um, don't worry about exercise because your body's not going to last anyway. Forget it. Let's cancel PE in the schools. We don't need that anymore. Eat what you want. Uh, no matter about the calories, your body's not going to last. You don't. If you're wise, I think if you're, you're godly, if you're biblical wisdom, you're saying, my, my body is given to me by God and, and yes, it's time limited, but I, I want to use it well. I, I don't want to be dependent on others earlier than I need to. I want to be able to function well. That honours God and so I'm careful with exercise and what I eat and I go to the doctor and, and that's wise in the meantime. And really what, we're, what we can think of is that shouldn't we have, to some degree, a similar approach to creation? Yes, it's not it's not the end state it is spoiled but shouldn't there be care in the meantime shouldn't we want it to be as useful as possible isn't God honoured through it even though it is spoiled waiting but care for its health in the meantime And then this thought leads on then to the last phase, which is renewed. Created, spoiled, visited, waiting, renewed. The Bible's teaching is that creation will experience great change. Our environment will experience massive change at the return of Christ. It will lead to the production of a what's called a new creation. And this is what creation itself is longing for, is the way it's described. 2 Peter tells us about it as the, the day of the Lord. And the teaching there culminates this, uh, this renewing, this purifying, uh, in 2 Peter 3 and verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, a new creation, a new environment. There'll be no more spoil, there'll be no more brokenness, there'll be no more disharmony, there'll be no more curse. It's hard for us to imagine how it works. 
In the same way as it's hard for us to imagine how the original creation works when, when they were vegetarians and it's just beyond, it's so far, it's so distant from our current situation. But it is revealed that that is the case in God's word. And we get some clues about it. At the end of the Bible, in Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And then jump into chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible. There's some picture languages in this, but just see the the beauty of the environment which is depicted. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So there's a wonderful final joy of creation ahead, a renewed creation. It's depicted that somehow the lion and the lamb will sit down together, Isaiah chapter 11. Harmony is restored. And this is the eternal, lasting situation according to the word of God. And so, we have a note which is a note of tremendous hope when we follow the Christian gospel. Hope instead of fear. Many have a strong sense of fear in contemplating the climate change challenges. Especially young people I've been able to read a useful book a few months ago on this. Also, I knew that Sy had preached on this up at Coventry. I was able to borrow some of his resources. And Pete Hitchcock at Binscombe has done a couple of messages on this recently. They're on the Binscombe Church website. Very helpful. And I got some of my quotes from his research. He kindly let me do that. And uh, there was a survey taken, this is one of the things he quotes, there's a survey taken of 10,000 16 to 25 year olds, young people, from across 10 countries, and said nearly 60% of young people felt very worried or extremely worried about the climate change situation. It said that three quarters thought the future was very frightening. So there's a lot of fear amongst people, especially young people. Maybe you're amongst that group. And if the world, as it is, was all there was, then it's understandable. But the Christian message is comforting and reassuring for you in the face of climate change. If you have found forgiveness through the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ who visited the earth and went to the cross then you look forward to a new heaven and a new earth. 
And if not, you can turn in your fear to Jesus, the ultimate putter-writer of everything. And through him you can enjoy rest, joy, peace and hope. The Bible's message framework, if we understand it and our trust is in Christ, is one that will give us hope instead of fear. And if if you're shackled with fear in climate change and you don't know the Lord Jesus, have a think about what he came to do. So, this morning I far from answered every, every question, I've probably stirred up more question, but I hope at least I've given you the Bible's big picture, the big picture on the environment, a framework so that as you hear the discussion of the conference and the summit coming up, you, you've got a biblical framework to see it and view it and be assured in, created, spoiled, visited, waiting, renewed. Amen. And we've got an excellent song to sing which brings a lot of this together. It's the song, Creation Sings the Father's Song. You'll see as we go through these verses how it traces through the different stages of the biblical teaching on the environment and creation. So do stand to sing, the creation sings the Father's Song.
Oh Lord, we do pray that you would help us to grasp the wonders of creation, to feel the sense of love towards the environment that is suited for those who have a creator. We pray for wisdom to steward it well and to want to steward it well. And where we ourselves have contributed to mismanagement and damage and exploitation, Lord, forgive us. Give us wisdom personally to know what this means for us. We thank you especially that you have sent your son into this world that a second Adam walked the earth. We thank you that he has broken the curse. We thank you that we can in him anticipate the wonderful deliverance ahead. Help us, Lord, to be wise in our stewardship in the current time. But help us not to put all the eggs in the basket of this life and this world, but rather to be filled with a sense of hope that ahead of us is a renewed creation. And how wonderful, how beautiful that must be. Give us a sense of longing and a sense of hope that we may not be crippled by fear. We pray for those who have big responsibilities in seeking to have a wider influence on these matters. Give wisdom to those who do confer and make decisions, to those who lead governments and big business. Lord, that we may be wise together in our responsibility as stewards before you. But we thank you most of all for Jesus, the Saviour, the one who has taken the curse for us. We thank you for the reconciliation that comes through his cross and we pray in his name. Amen.